0: Welcome and thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by writer and artist Ron Randall. I'm Ruth.
1: And I'm Darren. And we encourage you to visit trekkercomic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to the adventures of Mercy St. Clair.
0: It features a new page of Trekker material every Monday, as well as all of the earlier stories so that you can easily try out this excellent sci-fi adventure series.
1: And now is definitely the time to keep up with news from Ron Randall. He's gearing up for a February launch for a Kickstarter campaign to publish his next Trekker book.
0: That next book is Chapeltown, and those that follow TrekkerComic.com know that it's a pivotal story for Mercy St. Clair.
1: In addition to containing the main Chapeltown story, the book will also feature a brand new 20 page story created specifically for the Kickstarter.
0: Plus, there will be lots of Kickstarter bonus material, including exclusive prints and even a chance to get original commissions from Ron Randall through the campaign.
1: We're very excited to share that news, and we hope that everyone will be sure to support Ron Randall and that project.
0: So follow TrekkerComic.com or connect with Ron Randall on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, and be ready for the Kickstarter launch on February 20th.
1: In most episodes of this podcast, we review and discuss the comics of Ron Randall. But today, we're bringing you a special interview with comics pro Jeff Parker.
0: Jeff Parker is a terrific writer and artist and one of Ron Randall's studio mates at Helioscope in Portland, Oregon.
1: We had a wonderful conversation with Jeff at Rose City Comic Con and arranged an interview for Baltimore Comic Con. He's a true gentleman, and it was terrific to hear his great stories. Thank you, Jeff, for making time for us in your busy schedule.
0: I'm sure everyone already knows Jeff's work on the Hulk and Thunderbolts, as well as the excellent Agents of Atlas and the exciting Underground that he worked on with Steve Lieber.
1: We're also big fans of Jeff's work on Aquaman, Flash Gordon, Batman 66, and Future Quest, which occasionally features art by Ron Randall, and you'll get a chance to hear about many of those titles during the interview.
0: In addition, just hours after our interview, Jeff Parker was presented with the Ringo Spirit Award for his work on Future Quest Number 1, That was fantastic news, and we were happy to be able to stop by and talk with him about the award the next day. Congratulations, Jeff.
1: Trekker Talk is part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network.
0: If you enjoyed this show, please consider trying out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube.
1: Xenozoic Xenophiles covers the post-apocalyptic adventure series Xenozoic Tales, featuring Cadillacs and dinosaurs by writer and artist Mark Schultz
0: and Warlord Worlds is devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grill, including the Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and more.
1: We hope you'll try out our other shows and we'll include links to those podcasts in our show notes.
0: But for now, let's join our special guest, Jeff Parker. <laughs>
1: Joining us today on Trekker Talk is popular writer and artist Jeff Parker, who consistently is responsible for some of the most fun comics being published in recent years, from Batman 66 to Flash
2: Gordon to Future Quest. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on Trekker Talk.
0: Could you tell us what got you interested in pursuing a career in comics and how you got started?
2: It's, it's a fuzzy line between at some point me thinking I could have adventures or gain superpowers and then realizing maybe I could just tell stories about such things instead of because it's not going to happen for me, you know, I wasn't actually getting hit by lightning or whatever was <laughs> what I needed to do. But I know I knew I wanted to tell stories ever since I was a little kid, and I would make up all kinds of extravagant things and draw out really sloppy comics on typing paper like everybody. We've discussed this at the studio. I'm in the studio, Ron Randall. For like a lot of artists have a uh, big injury in their background I got a bad moped accident and I had to get a skin graft and I was laid up in a in a cast all summer but that's when I really started getting better at art because I all I could do was draw and I drew this whole swamp thing story this epic swamp thing story I wanted to do but it really pushed my art along and my writing I didn't though I didn't realize it at the time and when I went to college I majored in English lit which I started as an art major, didn't see it was gonna help me very much for the kind of art I wanted to do. And I switched to English because I liked that a lot. And of course, I'm still using stuff that I used back then. So I, I, I think with like a lot of people, uh, you, they don't have a big moment that's just like a thunderclap. And you just sorta of keep gravitating towards it, maybe.
1: That actually goes perfectly to the question I wanted to ask next though, is you're both a writer and an artist. Tell me what you like the most about each of
2: those roles. Well, obviously drawing is, I enjoy it a lot, but it's very frustrating for me because I like a bunch of different types of approaches. And I can often see like, oh, there's a million ways you can do this. And for whatever reason, when I write, I can go quicker to, a laser focus than I can as an artist which is why I tend to write a hundred times more than I draw but at least my drawing comes in handy because uh, sometimes you waste a lot of time just trying to explain to the artist what's in your head when you know if you just know how to draw a little bit you can just rough it out and say here here's what I meant and I do that all the time I don't do it constantly because it probably get annoying for the artist but a lot of times they're glad because they no one wants to have to interpret what you're saying, like, oh, what does he really mean? And when you just draw it out, then, you, then one, it always reassures them that I'm not asking for something that can't be drawn. I, I did really bother to picture it in my head before I started putting words down. And that that's something I think every artist appreciates. But it's also fun for me because I can kind of pretend I'm every other artist when I'm working with them, like, oh, look, I draw like Steve Lieber now, or, <laughs> you know, I draw like Paul Pelletier, or I draw like Evan Shaner or somebody like that, or Colleen Cooper. Right. You know, it's like, I can indulge, like, this is what, if I decided to go this way, it would look like. And I don't know, that's, that's a, kind of gets back to that childhood thing where I'm constantly imagining how to do it.
1: That's a great story.
2: Yeah.
0: It's got to be so much fun seeing what you imagine come to life it is like it that. never gets
2: old mm-hmm. you, know, you never get tired of seeing really good artists like bring the story to life right. it's it's impressive because they they don't think about it the same way that you did and that's what's always interesting about it it's like oh, there are a number of ways it could work
0: so i've learned that you were originally from the east coast and i wonder yeah. what caused you to end up in the northwest and in the lovely city of portland yeah
2: i am from north carolina and it's really hot there. uh, We know that, that we live in Raleigh now. Yeah, (laughs) as you know, and it doesn't let up ever anymore. I was working in comics in the 90s, and then there was the big implosion where suddenly there were a lot less comics because the speculators market just went away, which is just as well. They weren't real readers anyway. It was all fake. I applied for a storyboard position at Sony Animation. Cause I just could not find any work, you know, and uh, it's like I need to get my career going. I was, I was completely stalled out and I moved to Los Angeles sleeping in the back of my truck all the way out there and hit campgrounds. It, so it wasn't like I was just on the side of the road. And I went there and I worked in animation then I started getting work doing storyboards for commercials and music videos and things like that. And that allowed me to afford to start working on my graphic novel, The Interman. Because then I was like, okay, I can work half a week, I don't have to stress out, like I can't pay my bills, and I can start getting this project that I've wanted to do for a long time done. And as Interman came together, and that came out, and I started kind of getting back into comics. The comics industry seemed to be recovering, or at least I was adapting to it better. That's about the time my daughter arrived magically. And I had been going up visiting Lieber up in uh, Portland, Oregon. And I just thought it was great. I was like, this, I like this area a lot. He was in the studio, Ron Randall and some other guys, Matthew Clark. And I was like, this is pretty great. Everybody, a lot of artists I know and my wife went along with it. We just decided to move up and try it out for a while. And 14 years later, I'm still there. And it's, it's very much like where I'm from, but without all the humidity and the bugs. <laughs> that's
1: true.
2: You know, it's very green and everything. Rains a lot more. So that's something that you have to get used to. Uh, so like everybody else there, I drink coffee. It's a good place to eat, too. Oh, yeah. Well, Raleigh's really nice, man. And Raleigh's had a lot of stuff going on, so. Oh, yeah, we,
1: we're busy all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah and awesome. Durham has really been just kind of redone. Like, I wish when I was living there in the 90s, Durham and Raleigh had, had all this stuff. You know, it's just a bunch of cool places to go. Yeah, they <laughs> right. are. Very nice.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about Batman 66, which we absolutely love. Uh, one of the best titles in recent memory. And what is so amazing to me is you capture the dialogue and the characters in that classic series so well. So
2: I wonder how you
1: prepared for that and what you found most fulfilling about working on it.
2: It's ridiculous how easy that was, because uh, like, I remember uh, Mark Wade after it was announced, he saw me at a show and he gave me this whole bunch of bootleg DVDs like he had bought at some other table at a comic show. And I thought, oh, yeah, like I need to watch these and like see what I, I'm misremembering. And I was shocked at how much I remembered and how spot-on it was. And I like, I shouldn't have been because like I I stayed trained on that channel whenever it was on as a kid. Right. So to me, the key was it's got to sound like Adam West whenever he talks. And everybody. It's It's got to sound like everybody. All, all the characters got to be like Cesar Romero and Frank Gorshin. But, like, with Batman, he kind of delivers long soliloquies. You know, Batman will just suddenly start walking off, waving his cape around and talking for a while. And you can't do that in the comic. You would just kill the thing with balloons. So you've got to choose phrases like he would say, and then what really has to sell it is the artist has to get that acting down. And the first artist on the series was Jonathan Case, and he nailed it. You know, he got the whole the movement and everything all there, and it's like everybody kept saying, "God, I can hear him say it." It's like, good, that's the way it's supposed to work. And then, but then I didn't want to make it exactly like the show because I felt like, what's the point? You already have the show, you know. Let's let's take it. Let's pretend like they've got a giant budget, and the best people in Hollywood working for them, and what they might have done then. And then it got to the point after they did the, they adapted the Two Face treatment that Harlan yes. Ellison had written. Right. Then they started letting us. Do uh, non-show villains as if they had been on the show, and that's what I had wanted to do all along because that was super fun. Yes. You know, like, hey, we're going to have Solomon Grundy as if it were Ted Cassidy, (laughs) literally doing nothing except taking the tie off, right? And because his lurch outfit looks exactly like Solomon Grundy, (laughs) you know, or have Killer Croc or any of the other characters Harley Quinn has done in the '60s, and if it were you know Goldie Hawn. That was fabulous. Yeah, I loved
0: it. So you gave us another great revival with Flash Gordon. And again, you captured the classic feel of that series, but with a modern twist. How did you like working on that project?
2: I was very happy with that project. One, obviously, it's the first time Evan Shaner and I worked together. Nate Cosby, the editor, put us together. I was lucky. I got in kind of early with that, and Nate showed me a list of what he was going to be editing and asked what would I be interested in. And I went straight to Flash. I was like, Flash Gordon, I don't like anything else, no, Flash Gordon, (laughs) like, because one, I was a big Alex Raymond and Al Williamson fan. Absolutely. And years ago, I had kind of had that idea of how you could do a modern take on Flash, that he's kind of from this old money family. And he's really into every sport and every adventuring thing. And the basic pitch of him is he's good at everything that doesn't matter. But then when he's dropped on Planet Mongo, suddenly he's the man, you know? Everything he's good at matters. Right. Riding lizards and swinging for trees and all this stuff, sword fighting. It's it's just Flash's environment. So he goes from being this kind of playboy, kind of thrill seeker or whatever, who just disappoints his family, to the hero of the world. And Evan just nails it. I mean, he gets his whole body language, because Flash is a bit of a bro. But he's not a jerk. He's a totally right. nice guy who cares about people, yep. and he acts impulsively. And but he's always morally right yes. in his quick actions. Yes. So it was nice to have a character like that. Because really, the old Flash was just—he was a typical stoic lead. And it's like, you know, and why should Flash know any science? It doesn't make any sense. Let Dale be the science person besides Zarkov, so that they can all have conversations Flash can't understand. You know.
1: Captured
2: it really well. Yeah, and then Evan just completely brought him to life. Yes. He just got it so spot on. I agree. Brought all that Toth influence into it. Right. And yeah, then we're able to make up the fun cast and make Zarkov, you know, just kind of get a good take on him. And Dale, you know, just like I thought, well, you could be a science writer, uh, somebody whose job has kind of been diminished in recent years, but again, suddenly becomes important. Uh, when the Earth is attacked by another planet. (laughs) And then you get all the beast men in and everything, and it just really worked. Yeah, I really loved it. I wish it had kept going because it was great fun. Yeah, we had a great... Well, I was glad I got to end it on a... I didn't want to end it with them actually defeating Ming because I feel like, really, Ming should probably never be defeated. You should be able to just beat him back, chase him around or something, but it's like you don't really overturn conquerors who have several worlds... Our countries let's say, you know, like that. Right. It was more realistic. It was kind of like there's a story point where they leave. Dale's telling him, it's like, this is kind of the work of a lifetime you're trying to drag us into. And Flash realizes, you know, they do want to go back to Earth. And then when he goes back to Earth, he just feels completely rudderless. Yeah, I love that part of the story. Yeah, and then that's when they decide to do the right thing and head back and help the Hawkmen. Yeah. I was like, I was so glad we got to do that. You yeah. It was like, I got all the beats in there I'd hoped to get. Yeah. It was a perfect, like a season finale, and you can just imagine
1: what yeah. goes on after that.
2: And I'm glad that they went on, they brought in good people like Aker and Blacker and everybody, and all these great artists. Uh, Sandy Gerald worked on right. some of it. Paul Tobin was writing Jungle Jim. Yeah. And that all kind of tied together, and it all worked. I, mean, I was very happy Dynamite kept that shared universe together
1: very good well next that's going to bring us to Future Quest which is another of our favorites and it's a perfect title to talk about since Ron Randall does the art on some of the issues so tell us a little bit about how Future Quest came about
2: Future Quest came about two years ago at this very show Dan DiDio had contacted me all he sent was this picture that Darwin had drawn it's the one you see in the book of all the characters together and I was like what am I supposed to write this (laughs) (laughs) And he just told me, Darwin's got some ideas. Just talk to him when you get to the show. So Darwin left his big line at one point, and we went outside for an hour or so and just talked about stuff that had occurred to him because he had already been thinking about it. And I had just found out that week, you know, that it was something they wanted to do. And I think Darwin had pushed for me and Evan to work on it because of Flash Gordon. I think they saw that we did Flash Gordon and brought the whole universe together that we could do it again with Hannah barbera So, yeah, that was amazing to me, like, getting to hear Darwin's, like, ideas. And then I got to work out the story pitch, which is this big kind of Bible, and pass it back and forth with him, and he'd rewrite it, and he'd really amp it up. And that was great. That was like a learning lesson and seeing, like, where he thinks the kind of stuff you need to happen to have a good, interesting story. And so that was invaluable because I, I don't think before that I was very good at pitching and after that i was much better just because darwin did the pitch and then you know then we got to work evan did his his designs and was nailing them one after the other some obviously we kept so close like johnny and space ghost they're exactly the way they look right except johnny's got i just did the one thing i remember doug wildey kind of lamenting he always said that he wished he had just given johnny a straight up part in his hair because it's this Kind of undrawable mass <laughs> that animators had a hard time with so i said i said doug said this to me so if you can feel like if you want to make his hair a little more specific we can do that and he did and it does work a lot better than just this blob up on his head and all that stuff you have to figure out like haji's turban and all that oh, yeah. sort of thing and some There's things there. like that you just have to leave like you leave Ray- race's red shirt yeah you can't change great. that Not you know. at all uh, that, the main thing I wanted to do with that series is, undo a lot of the bad updates I had seen over the years, all these cartoons that took away what was good about it. Yes. And, and in and an effort to modernize it, all they ever did was date it. That's right. You know, and So I was, on stuff like that, I think, no, let's make it classic and make it so you can just drop it into any decade and it keeps working.
1: You're right, because the original is timeless. And it and is. The others are very dated. They're so
2: dated. Here's Johnny in a VR room. <laughs> right. I remember, it was weird too, it was a real full circle thing for me because in the mid 90s, they had asked me when I was drawing to draw a Johnny Quest comic based on that cartoon. Right. And I was super excited. I went, oh, I'm going to do this like Doug Wildey, blah, blah, blah. And, it, and then when I turned in my art, they said, this looks like classic Quest. <laughs> and not the editor at Dark Horse, but it was the Hanna-Barbera people at the time who were saying that. And it tur- that turned out to be a miserable experience. The, the, And they were giving notes like, no, no, our Johnny's more edgy. And I was like, "They killed people on the old show. How is yours (laughs) edgy? What, because he might get a headache from all the VR? (laughs) So to actually be invited back this time as the writer to do a big take on it, you know, that was pretty much all I could ask for. Oh, amazing.
0: Well, i like strong female characters and talking about the revival of johnny quest in the 90s uh-huh. i thought the best thing was the addition of jesse bannon and uh-huh. i wonder if we'll be seeing her making an appearance in future quest. no <laughs> uh, yeah
2: well no i like strong female characters too but that's what but i i don't like race having a real family that's why instead i opted in the story one character, Darwin and I had talked about Cobalt coming in oh, yeah. so that The Impossibles like the that. Yes. <laughs> are as Evan sees it, it's like they needed a drummer. <laughs> well, they needed other things too, because they can't all play guitar, that's just not okay. <laughs> and I beefed up the roles of Jezebel Jade in the story and introduced Diva Samadhi, who's kind of the, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but no, she's, a, she's a powerful figure with the international security. So she's the one you see first when you see Birdman in the story, bringing him in. And she turns out to be all-important. She shows up when the series switches to the showcase. You know, she often is the connecting thread in that. And that was all because one of the things I, I thought really did need to be improved upon was everything was you young orphan boy having adventures in this Hanna-Barbera 60s. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to just change any of them or whatever because people have attachments to a lot of them. But I'll bring in a few new characters. The cartoons are just full of dead moms. Well, you are, whatever. Maybe they all just left their family because <laughs> you never knew like where Johnny's mom was or yeah. why Jan and Jace were hanging around with space ghosts or anything. Right. So I thought, one, we can explain some of that. And then we can bring in some... Like, okay, no one really cared if uh, Dr. Conroy was around with Frankenstein Jr. And I thought, let's have his mom instead be the, the one who builds the robot. And she turned out to be a really good character. She's even useful for Johnny at some point because, you know, he's somebody who he kind of sees as a mother figure for a little bit, or at least as an aunt because we established he knew her when he was smaller. So we tried to get it in. We still could use more more women characters. I think Cobalt really helped in The Impossibles. I do too. Even though we did get some people complaining.
1: Yeah, sir. I saw those online. <laughs> just it's
2: really just one person. She's actually pretty nice, but she just doesn't like The Impossible's messed with. So yeah, that was my take on that. Instead of going to, it just felt more natural. You gotta all of these things when you're bringing back something that's pretty important to people's memory and their nostalgia and childhood, you got to really think about what you can get away with, like what, what you can change to make it interesting, but what doesn't change what's essential about it. And Race's whole thing I always got was that he was more like, he didn't really want to be a babysitter. He was really the hard living spy who kills people. Right. And it's just a weird thing that he's stuck with his family. And I wanted to keep that up, you know. Right. He, he begrudgingly is a father figure to Johnny. Because it's very clear, the way they imprint, that Haji's going to grow up more like Dr. Quest, and Johnny's going to grow up more like Race. You know, and that, I, I wanted to keep that in there at all times.
1: That was really great. I love that. And I was, I was so worried when I saw that the original series was coming to an end after issue 12, so I'm so happy to see it continue now. Is the new series a limited series, or is that running as... As far as
2: I know, it's an ongoing, and it's it's just revolving different arcs with different heroes. So I, I start with Ariel Olivetti doing Space Ghost, right? and we show things like the creation of Metallus, and how Jan and Jace ended up being kind of <laughs> on their own with a monkey. <laughs> we still don't actually explain how much Space Ghost actually contributes to raising them, but they do report into them every day after school. <laughs> and and there will be revolving things, like you'll see a Herculoid story and a Frankenstein Jr. story and maybe Dino Boy and stuff like that.
1: It's great fun. It, it's one of the few titles I absolutely read immediately every month. So, oh, well, thank um, you. I mean, absolutely,
2: yeah. It's very.
0: Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if there's any upcoming projects you could tell us about.
2: Everything I'm working on is not in the uh, ready-to-announce stage, even though some things aren't well underway, yeah. just because you know publishers like to do that. There is one thing, if you went to the Parker Brothers panel at Rose City, and I know you, you two did. Right. Steve Lieber and I showed some art from a thing he and I have started working up. And It's probably going to be a few months, but probably early next year we'll be able to start talking about it and like where you'll be able to find that book and that will be that'll be more of a departure from you know lately i've been doing a lot of very all ages kids friendly things and that won't be it's more about me channeling my anger at the world into something but i do think a lot of people will like it and if you liked say like what we did on underground the spelunking adventure where people are chased through a cave you might like that book too perfect I really appreciate the teasers. That's wonderful.
1: And I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to interview with us.
2: Thanks for letting me and Linda Carter here (laughs) talk to you on the (laughs) TrekkerCast. Thank you again, Jeff.
0: Thank you.
1: I hope everyone enjoyed that interview with Jeff Parker. It was terrific of him to take that time out of his busy schedule to chat with us. Thank you, Jeff.
0: You heard Jeff mention Linda Carter near the end of the interview. That's because she was at the convention as well, and we took a break from recording during the interview to listen to her talk to the crowd over the PA system. That was great fun.
1: And now it's time for Trekker Transmissions, when we share the listener feedback we've received since last time.
0: Your feedback adds so much to the show. So big thanks to everyone who took the time to write or get in touch through social media.
1: We were very excited to receive two new iTunes reviews since the last episode. Swagcat Aaron wrote, I like this podcast a lot, and it's my favorite podcast by far. I like how they tell the story, and I also like the pages and panels sections. It's a very awesome podcast. Well, thank you to our nephew Aaron for that very awesome review.
0: And our friend Christopher Calloway of the Creator Talks podcast wrote, Darren and Ruth are excellent hosts and put a lot of work into producing all of their podcasts. Get caught up on Trekker and hear their in-depth analysis of Ron Randall's work. Thank you very much for those very kind words. We sincerely appreciate it.
1: Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners saw our promo for the last episode and exclaimed, this is going to be a fun one.
0: We appreciated the witty post from Mark Sweeney of the ITG blog and podcast who wrote Pros and Cons, some great sound from Rose City Comic Con on the latest Trekker Talk pros and cons. I really like that mark.
1: Joe Crawford from the blog for the non-discerning reader listened and wrote, such a great episode. Really enjoyed hearing all of the guests. You both do such a wonderful job on the convention episodes. As someone who doesn't attend them in general, I really appreciate how much coverage you provide. Thank you for the show. Well, thank you very much for that, Joe.
0: John Baker of 3 of by Space commented, as always, a wonderfully informative and fun podcast. Thanks for offering a forum for these wonderfully talented folks to say hello and offer a little look into what they are doing. A lot of info is packed into this podcast. I'm going to re-listen just to get all the websites and projects that they have going on, so much that I want to check out. Then he said, however, that John Baker guy sounds like a goofball. You should have edited that Yahoo out. Never, John. It was terrific having you and your sister Ruth on the show. Thank you.
1: And all of the way from Australia, Paul Hicks of Waiting for Doom and the new DC OCD podcast said, Great episode. It felt like I was there, except I still had all of my cash at the end. Good one, Paul. Our wallet wasn't so fortunate.
0: Christopher Calloway of the Creator Talks podcast let us know that he enjoyed the show and is looking forward to the interview with Jeff Parker. I hope you liked it.
1: We were happy to see JT at J10 Boo Boo post a photo of the Trekker omnibus that he picked up at Jet City Comic Con. We hope you liked it, JT.
0: And Comic Book Cover Story posted a photo of Trekker's first appearance in Dark Horse Presents. I absolutely love that cover. It's a beautiful watercolor painting, and it is always great to see. Thanks for sharing it. Clinton Robison
1: of the Coffee and Comics blog and podcast wrote, I am definitely thankful for having been introduced to the amazing women that are Mercy and Molly. Oh, and Scuff too.
0: Thank you to everyone for writing in.
1: We want to extend our Trekker thanks to everyone who supported us on social media since the last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, and we sincerely appreciate all of your support.
0: Before we start, I'll say if we miss a name, please let us know, and we'll correct it next time. And also forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just email us and let us know. We'd be happy to correct that next time as well.
1: The 20th Century Geek Podcast with Scott Weatherly. Angela of the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace Podcast. Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog. Ashford of the Ride-On Network featuring Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey. The b Podcast. Brian Mulvey. Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners. Chris Mounts. Chris Sheehan of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast and the blog Chris's on Infinite Earths. Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast. Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris. Creator Talks with Christopher Calloway. Derek William Crab of the Fanholes Podcast and History of Comics on Film. Dr. G. Manandology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast. Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions. Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages. Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners. Helioscope Studio. Hollywood Already Did It Podcast. Jake and Tom Conquer the World Podcast. Jared Albright, the Yard Sale artist from Comics with Normies. Jay Jones of the Silver and Gold Podcast. Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Podcast and Blog.
0: Jerry McMullen from the Worst Comic Podcast Ever. Joe Crawford of the Blog for the Non-Discerning Reader. John Baker, who does sci-fi TV reviews at Three If By Space. John Holloway of the Worst Comic Podcast Ever. Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock. Karen Williams of the Sweet Between the Pages Blog. Laurel Phillips, a.k.a. Mountain Flower. Lisa Randall. Longbox Crusade Podcast with Pat and Jared. Mark Adams of Mark Smith Podcast. Mark Sweeney from the ITG blog and podcast and comics couplets. Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. Michael Allen Carlisle of the blog Crapbox Son of Cthulhu. Nicholas Prom of Comic Reflections. Pat Sampson of the Longbox Crusade. Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom podcast. Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Randy Andrews of the Soundtrack Alley and the New Gen 13 podcast. Reggie Hancock of the Cosmic Treadmill podcast. Rolled Spine podcast. Ron and Lynn Randall, Ruth Rice, Scott Eos Weldon of Weldon Studios, and Wendy Freeman of the podcast Double Page Spread.
1: Thank you all, and we'll be right back after we play a couple of promos for other podcasts that you might enjoy.
3: First appearance of Superman in 1938, Batman in 1939, Rock and Roll born with Elvis's first album in 1956, the modern sitcom created in 1944. The point being that pop culture, in all its forms, was born during the 20th century. I'm Scott Weatherly, and please come and join me on 20th Century Geek, a journey through the common and not-so-common elements of pop and geek culture. Every week, I alternate between a blog and a podcast as I look at something different, using roundtable discussions, interviews, reviews, and some general rambling. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher, or visit our website, 20thCenturyGeek.com, 20th Century Geek, the blog and podcast that meets your history and geeky needs. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenschtaflner. Come in. To, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Oh, I just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. A DC event as in the comic books DC events yes yes the comic book events oh interesting uh, are we we talking things like crisis on infinite earth yeah yeah totally that one yeah uh infinite crisis yeah yeah that one too oh very very invasion maybe Uh yeah yeah definitely uh, the uh, the genesis uh, not so much no oh well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life, so maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. Wh- what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DC OCD You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events I think you should talk it out get it out of your system via a podcast I will help you my friend we shall do a podcast together about your DC OCD Oh, okay I won't even charge you for it (laughs) Awesome I don't think I can claim you on (laughs) benefits Yeah, it's good When should we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my my timetable. (laughs) Cool.
0: Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter.
1: If you want to contact us directly or have something you would like to have read on the show, then please send an email to trekkertalk at gmail.com.
0: You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr using the name Trekker Talk, and you can visit our website for links to all of those social media pages. And that website is?
1: TrekkerTalk.com
0: Thank you, Charlotte and Catherine, Catherine and Charlotte of the excellent Mark mess Podcast for that clip.
1: You can listen to our show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and all of our episodes are always available at TrekkerTalk.com and at RadAdventuresNetwork.com.
0: And you can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Network. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short, of course, for Ruth and Darren.
1: On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes for all of our podcasts, including Trekker Talk, as well as Xenozoic Xenophiles about the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow.
0: And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos.
1: Remember, at trekkercomic.com, you'll find a new page of material every Monday, as well as links to all of the ways you can find Ron Randall. And you'll be able to keep up with the upcoming Kickstarter campaign.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll come back next time for another brand new episode of Trekker Talk.
1: Talk is a proud member of the comics podcast network for more information visit comicspodcast.com we are not affiliated with dark horse comics or ron randall the views expressed on the show are solely ours music is taken from the album royalty-free music movies and videos from the royalty-free music club we make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended